All right. Well, good morning, Doxa Church. Guys, it is great to see everybody today. Glad to be together. For those of you I can't see, but you're on the live stream, guys, we, we miss you, but it's great to be gathered. Hopefully you'll be back here soon. Next week is Easter, so maybe that'll be a first uh, time where you can come back and, and celebrate that just awesome day. But if you're new to Doxa, man, welcome again. My name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors. It's honestly just an honor to have you part of the Doxa family today. I hope you feel like welcomed. And man, I'd love the opportunity. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, I'd love to, to meet you. So before you head out of the service, come grab me, say hi, introduce yourself. And, and honestly, would just love that. But here's what I want you to do. I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, okay? Ronnie mentioned that we are in the midst of a long journey through the book of 1 Corinthians, which the Apostle Paul wrote to just a struggling church. That he had started this church, it was vibrant, it was healthy, it was on the move, and then several years later, it was just going downhill. There was a bunch of crazy stuff happening, and the Apostle Paul is writing to address some of these issues, ultimately to help them get back on track with like walking with God and honoring God with the way that they were living their lives. And today, as we get into chapter six, the Apostle Paul literally just starts addressing issues of sexuality, all right? That there's some things that are happening with immorality and, and sex in this church that are really just causing a lot of problems in this church, all right? That the sexual immorality that was just running rampant in the church in Corinth was really just hindering people's relationships with each other, but even more significantly, their relationship with God. Now, because as we get into this topic, I just want to say this, okay? I just want to recognize like, that this could be an awkward thing for some of you, right? I mean, if you're anything like me, you didn't really grow up in the church, maybe this is like your first time coming to church, or your first time back to church in a long time, and you're like, oh, crap, picked the wrong weekend. I knew we should have waited to Easter, right? You're at your shoulder and your wife, and you're just like, right? And it's just like, if, if that's what you're thinking, you're like, man, we're talking about sex. I got to listen to this dude in a cardigan. It is a cardigan. I've had a lot of like comments on this. I've, you guys have never seen me wear a cardigan before. I thought I could go like incognito, but note, note, I'm never going to wear a cardigan again. Too many comments, okay? But you might be thinking that this is just awkward. It's got a cardigan, sex, church, weird, right? If you're thinking that, let me just say this. I'm getting way off track, okay? If you're thinking that, I want you to just know this. It's fair, right? But I want you to know that this is why we teach the Bible the way that we do. I hear Doxa when we gather like this, we gather around the Bible. All right, we just kind of go through it book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and this is where we find ourselves today. So welcome to Doxa, Easter is next week, come back. We're not gonna be talking about sex, it's gonna be all about Jesus and his resurrection, okay? So make sure you come back on Easter. But here's the thing, as it relates to sex, this topic is so vital because it relates to every single one of us. And I really believe that if we can just kind of understand a, a few things, I believe that it will just unlock like a fresh, true perspective that will totally change your life, will totally change your relationships, and really just kind of help your walk and your relationship with God. And so as we begin to look at this topic of sex today, here's where we're going to start, okay? I believe this to be true of every single one of us, but the, it's this. Our personal view of sex and sexuality is largely driven and formed from our personal experiences with sex and sexuality. All right, and so a little bit about me, when it came to the subject of sex, as a little kid, I mean, I was just honestly really confused. Never really had anyone sit down and have the talk with me, the birds and the bee thing, never had that. My, but my introduction to sub, the subject of sex really came about in the fourth grade. 
All right, and it didn't come from an awkward sit down with, with mom and dad, and I know some of you who grew up with that, like you, you're like, praise the Lord, like you need to be on your knees thanking God because that was the most awkward moment of my entire life, right? But it didn't come from a talk with mom and dad, all right? And it wasn't from the church that we went to every now and again because all those people were like 90 years old. They probably even hadn't had sex for like 20 years, so it would have been more like a history lesson, right? Like back in the Old Testament, this is the way, right? <laughs> but it wasn't from that. But my introduction to sex came from sixth and seventh grade boys on the way home from school every day on the bus. That no one else talked to me about sex except middle school boys who would bring playboys into the back of the bus and me and my fourth grade friends would just sit there and we would look at them. And so my philosophy, my theology, if you will, on the subject of sex was set by sixth and seventh grade boys who taught me through the medium of pornography. And as I, as I share that, like it should be of no surprise that I stepped into and lived in a lot of sexual sin, and I did this all the way through college. And, and maybe you hear that and you're like, man, sexual sin, like not that big of a deal. You had some fun, right? You gave it the old college try. And we hear so much of that, so especially for those of you who are in college, like you got this, like live for the moment. But what we're not told is that those moments can turn into memories that can haunt you for the rest of your life. And I'll be honest with you, like there are things that I did and have done in the moment since those fourth grade conversations that I still regret to this day. And I think all of us can relate to this on some level. And maybe like your view of sexuality was formed through like an experience that you had, that you went through, a movie you watched, a, a friend that you had. And because of what you knew about sexuality, you, like me, you just kind of, you know, made some really bad decisions sexually. I mean, for me, from the ages of 12 to 22, I didn't view women as beautiful and special and just awesome. And I, and I say this honestly, like sheepishly, but I was just kind of like a pathetic womanizing man. Just objectified women somehow thought that like the woman's job on this earth was to make men happy, like literally just a terrible excuse for a man, pathetic. But in 2005, something great happened to me. I met Jesus, came into my life, kind of just power washed my soul, changed everything. It's been amazing, but I discovered something along the way that, was, that has just radically shifted my perspective on sexuality. Doxa, believe it or not, God is not silent on the matters of sex and sexuality. But he created sex. He designed it, and he has something ultimately to say about it. And so we're just gonna listen to him today through 1 Corinthians chapter six, through the Apostle Paul. So let's get into this. 1 Corinthians six, verse 12 is where we're gonna start. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both of one and the, and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. All right, so let's get to work on this. There's three crucial things that the Apostle Paul is gonna teach us about sex today. And if the first thing is this, if you're a note taker, is this. All right, sex is to be enjoyed as a gift, not worshiped as a God. All right, see the, the Christians in Corinth, all right, were in many ways worshiping sex over God. I mean, week one, as we started this, I shared that one of the most prominent features in the city of Corinth was just this temple, this elaborate temple in the middle of the city that was really just kind of designated for sex. This temple housed upwards of like thousands of prostitutes and people would just literally go there for church to engage in sexual acts. And then every time, or every day at a certain time, this temple was situated up on a hill. These prostitutes would descend the hill and flood the city and engage with sexual acts with people all around the city. I mean, this was Corinth, very hyper-sexualized culture. And in actuality, like in ancient times, if you were somebody who was like kind of in that vein of, of living, it was said that you had been come, become Corinthianized. It's not too far off from where we're at in our culture today, all right? But the Corinthians even had two slogans to show their view of sex as God. All right, take a look at verses 12 and 13 again. Here's the two slogans that the Corinthians would say. All right, they would say, all things are lawful for me. All right, they would just run around and say, all things are lawful for me. In other words, what they were saying is I'm a free agent. Like I can do whatever I want. It doesn't matter, like all these moral rules, they're for everybody else, they're really not for me. I'm my own person, I do my own thing. I mean, it sounds remarkably contemporary, doesn't it? But then verse 13, here's the second slogan. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. Not as catchy, kind of weird, but we'll get into this, all right? But these are the things that they would say. And here's what you need to understand, guys. These slogans that the Corinthians were living by, it was really their equivalent. You remember when it was cool to say YOLO? You remember that? You only live once? Like this was like, that was their equivalent, right? They would, we screamed like YOLO and then we do something stupid and then we pay the price for it, right? They would say, everything is lawful for me. The food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food, YOLO. Same idea. Basically what they were saying is like, do what you want. It's your body. However you want, whatever you think is good, like enjoy yourself, live for the moment, make memories. And the Christians in Corinth would go around, they would be saying these things and they were using these slogans to justify all the sexual immorality and sin that was happening in the church. And what these slogans revolve around, hear this, is the thought that God only cares about our souls, not our bodies. Are right, these people, they were living with the thought in the, the theology that our bodies are just gonna die and decay and rot away and just be gone and eventually be nothing. And so the only thing that truly matters is our soul because our soul is the only thing that's gonna go to heaven. And so they were using this thought process to live any way that they wanted, doing whatever they wanted with their bodies. And so they were engaging in a ton of like sexual activities that it could involve like family members and kids and other people's spouses, even animals, and they would just say, it doesn't matter because all things are lawful for me. Jesus saved me, I can do whatever I want. YOLO. God only cares about my soul. And Paul, in the midst of this, he comes in and he just intensely opposes this theology and this view. And the first thing he says is what the body is not for. Take a look again. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. This is what the people of Corinth were saying. Paul says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
All right, so he says, understand this. And Doxa, we need to understand this. God did not give you a body for immorality. And the Greek word used here for immorality is this word porneia, which is where we get our English word pornography. And what Paul is saying is that God didn't give you a body so that you could use sex to satisfy every physical desire that comes your way. He's saying that's not why you have a body. And understand this, guys. He's confronting the thought that we need to act and satisfy every desire that we have. It's this very hedonistic way of living, that I have this desire, I need to meet it and satisfy it. That everything you feel, it's almost like you view yourself as like an animal. It's like, if I feel it and I want it, like I have to do it, I need to satisfy it. And Paul is just saying, no, it's not that. And if you think about it, it really doesn't make sense. And most people, we don't do this with other aspects of life. But with sex, it's somehow different for many of us. You know, for example, we all get angry, right? We all get angry. Picture yourself in like pick and save parking lot, like the most dangerous parking lot in the world with all the old people driving around and, you know, some old lady hits your car, brand new car, and you get so angry and you're like, oh, I just want to punch her. You're not going to get out of your car and punch the old lady in the face. Most people don't do that. We feel something, but we're like, I'm not going to do that. But when it comes to sex, it's somehow different. That we have a desire and we think, I just got to meet it. I gotta do whatever I gotta do to feel the gratification that I want. Paul says this is not it. And so he says your body isn't for sexual immorality, but here is why we have bodies. Look again. Food is meant for the stomach, the stomach for food. God will destroy one and the other. But the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but what? But for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. All right, so the body is for the Lord. So Doxa, hear this. The reason that you have a body is for the glory of God. It's always about the glory of God. This is why we named our church Doxa, glory. You have a body for the glory of God. You don't have a body solely for your physical pleasure and to do whatever you want with it, but you have a body that is purposed for the purposes of God and his glory, of which sexual immorality is not in the cards. And so Paul says, yes, absolutely, sex, like every other thing good in your life, is a gift from God, right? One of God's greatest gifts to humanity, amen? I mean, yeah, come on, guys, loosen up. Yes, for sure, for sure, okay? But this is, it's a gift. This takes us back to James, our study in James, when Paul says every good thing in your life is a gift from the Father above. We have a good gift giver of a God. And Paul is saying, you just need to understand that the gift of sex is ultimately meant to serve you in a very specific way, not master you by your own ways. Look back to verse 12. All things are lawful for me, Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but check this out. But I will not be dominated. I will not be mastered by anything. All right, Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by anything except Jesus. And Doc said, this is literally the proper posture, perspective, and desire for every single Christian. That we aren't mastered by anything but Jesus and his glory and his purposes. But the problem in Corinth, and I'll submit to you, and even in our city today, is that people took sex, this great gift from God, and they abused it so much so that they got to a place where they were no longer being mastered by the Spirit of God, but they were being mastered by their sexual appetites. I mean, sin was just ruling their lives. It was killing their relationship with God. 
And I know, guys, in a room like this, some of us in this room are in a place like that. You're not under the control of the Spirit of God, but the appetite of your flesh. And for the Christians in in Corinth, the gift of sex that God gave them to be their servant and add to their life had become their master. And Paul is lovingly confronting them saying, the only master of your life should be Jesus. And when it comes to sex, Doxa, we just need to know that, that sexual sin is just unique. It's not greater or lesser than any other sin, but it's just unique. It uniquely enslaves us and destruct, it has a destructive force in our life that the more we indulge in it, the more it controls the indulger. That what starts small, it quickly grows to be like a tidal wave that's just like totally out of control, unstoppable, and it just destroys lives. Sexual sin can so easily become a master in our lives, and this is what Paul is trying to help us see. Because guys, I'm not naive, this, is, this was my story. Like some of you, you're being drugged around on a leash by sex. It totally controls you. You make decisions based on it. You make plans. You're like, what am I gonna do this weekend? Well, it depends on how, can I get in front of my computer for a while? Can I make sure I get in front of this person? Like what, it's just dominating your life. And here's where it gets like intensely real. It's gonna come up here on the screen, Matthew 6, 24. This is what Jesus says. He's talking, he says this. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus says, like, you can't have two masters. And so, Doxa, I'll just ask you the question. Just, you just think about this this week. Is what is mastering your life? Big question. And I'll be honest with you. Some of you, you, you don't know me. You're, you're new to Doxa. And I know, I'm sorry if this is like an awkward sermon for you, but I don't want to stand one day in front of the throne of God like we all will and find out that something was the master of my life other than Jesus. I want us to get to the bottom of this right now. And I love you enough to say what the Bible says for your good and God's glory, but we just need to be talking about these things. The church is the place that we talk about this. The church isn't supposed to be silent. God has given us instruction. He's given us ways, and we go before him, and we say, God, just teach us. But that's the question. Is sex and immorality your master? Or is Jesus? Now if we keep going, we see the second thing that Paul wants us to learn here about sex, and it's this. Is that sex is a spiritual thing, not just a physical thing. The Corinthians, like many people today, maybe even like some of us in this room, would hear this and say, guys, loosen up. It's just sex. Not that big of a deal. It's what our culture teaches us. For those of you who are parents, as a parent, I'll take off the pastor hat and just put a parent hat on. As a parent speaking to parents, this is what your kids are gonna learn if you don't disciple them and teach them the words of God. It's a big deal, and the Apostle Paul is gonna show us that sex is not just a ho-hum thing. It's actually a massive deal spiritually. Verse 15, take a look. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. All right, and this never in the Greek, it's, it, it's, a, it's a word that denotes like disgust. Like Paul is like, I, I can't even, ugh, like what are you talking about? Like if you think about this, it'd be the equivalent of us being like, if Jesus was on the stage or sitting next to you right now and you would just put your arm around him and be like, hey Jesus, like 
I got this website with all the free videos. Let's go just like chill out in my room and watch some stuff. Right? Be like, what? No, what? No, I wouldn't do that with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I got this club. This is where all the cute people, the beautiful people, the people that are just like looking for a good time. Come with me. Let's go see what we can get into tonight. Right? I mean, if we had that perspective, we understand why Paul is saying like, this is what sex kind of is. And like, you would never do that. He says, verse 16, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with them. And here, Paul is not just talking about prostitution. Although this was a major issue in the, uh, the church in Corinth with the temple. But Paul's actually speaking more broadly about sex and sexual immorality. It's under the umbrella of porneia. And so Paul is addressing all sexual acts. And as he's talking about this, he's actually giving us a proper understanding of what happens when we have sex. Verse 16 and 17 are key. Take a look back. See, sex was created by God to be used in the context of marriage. Ultimately, hear this, ultimately to cement a man and a woman together and make them one. And Paul says we need to understand this about sex. And he uses this reference to Genesis chapter two when God creates humanity. Look again, he says, or do you not know? He says, sex is way more than you think it is. It's not just a physical thing, it's deeply spiritual. He says that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Paul's just saying we need to understand that when we have sex with someone, you become literally one flesh with them. That sex is deeply spiritual. Something really significant happens when we engage sexually with other people. And this might be something that is just like crazy countercultural. It doesn't make any sense, but God created this and he's trying to teach us this. And this wording of one flesh, it's the wording that God uses throughout the Bible to describe what is supposed to happen one time in your life with one person. And as we read the Bible, you know, the chain of events that God intends for us is this. We're born, we step out on the stage of human history, right? Congratulations, we didn't really have anything to do with that, but then we grow up. We, we move out of mom and dad's house, we start adulting, if you will. We walk through the everyday stuff of life, we have our head on a swivel, we, we see someone of the opposite sex catch our eye, and then we enter into the covenant relationship of marriage, and then and only then, the sexual relationship occurs and you become one flesh. And this is a phrase that the Bible uses to explain just the intense physical, emotional, spiritual bond and union that occurs with sex. In the Hebrew, it's the word yada. So if you go back to Genesis, with, it says Adam knew his wife. That word yada is an intensely sexual word that transcends physicality. And so it's not that just Adam had sex with his wife, but it says that it was a deeply spiritual, emotional, this holistic thing that happened between this man and a woman to make them one. And Doc, so this is what this means. There's no such thing as casual sex, okay? Sex is a deeply spiritual thing. C.S. Lewis in his work, The Screwtape Letters, I'm gonna quote him, he says this. Each time a man and a woman enter into a sexual relationship, a spiritual bond is established between them that must be eternally enjoyed or eternally endured. God takes sexual sin seriously because it corrupts and shatters spiritual relationships, both human and divine. 
Doc, so sexual immorality is a really big deal because it's a sin that uniquely destroys people's relationship with each other and people's relationship with God. Now, maybe you're here and you're kind of like thinking like, I'm single, I'm not having sex, I haven't had sex, I'm not going to until I get married, and if that's you, man, awesome. Praise the Lord, keep honoring God in your body. Embrace being weird culturally, but being holy in the eyes of God. But here's what we all need to know. This includes the idea of porneia. All types of sexual acts. So this includes pornography, which so is, is so readily accepted in our culture, in our world today. Doc, so I just need you to understand, like when it comes to the Bible, there is something really significant, deeply spiritual that happens when we engage in sexual immorality of any kind. And it's not that you're just looking at a screen. It's not that you're just kind of hooking up with a random person. It's so much more. And guys, this is where I get mad. Like this is where I get mad. I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this? I mean, I, I ran around like this whole one thing, one time, like one person, like that threw out the door like 20 some years ago for me. But all I, I'd be around Christians and Christians would say, well, you can't do that. And I'm like, well, why? It's wrong. Well, why? It's not good. Well, I kind of like having sex. Like, what's the deal with that? Well, you're going to make Jesus cry. I'm like, what does that mean? Right? And the church has done just a really bad job teaching people about the great gift of sex. And they just say, don't do it until you get married. Why? This is what Paul is trying to help us with here. Because guys, it's like this. You get like an Amazon package in the mail, right? Comes in a box, it's got tape on it. What happens when you rip that tape off of the cardboard? Some of the cardboard gets stuck to the tape. Some of the tape gets stuck to the cardboard. Guys, it's like that when people like engage in just like random casual sex. You basically just stick yourself together with another person. And then when you try and leave, you're literally tearing your soul apart. And that's why some of you, maybe you have my story, that's why, like no matter how many girls you're with, no matter how many guys you're with, like some of you, like you just feel empty, gross, whatever. You're tearing your soul. This is sex. Something so significant and spiritual happens with sex and sexual immorality, and this is was Paul's point in verse 18. Look, he's saying there's nothing that else that involves your physical body. It's not just that. It's because we obviously know that there's things that, there are a whole slew of things that involve our physical body, but he's saying that there's nothing else that involves us, like all of us, including our bodies, everything that we are, quite like sex does. That with sex, we are all in. With sex, we give all of ourselves away. There's no such thing as casual sex. And this leads to the final thing that Paul is going to show us today, and it's this. Is that sex is about a time, not so much a line. All right? And I was, I was thinking about this topic. You know, one of the things that I think Christians, any time I can make fun of Christians, I do that. I'm a Christian, but Christian subculture is kind of weird. But we, we ask those questions a lot as it relates to this idea of sexual immorality, is like, well, how far is too far? Right? And you married couples, I mean, praise the Lord, we don't have to do that with our spouse anymore, we just get to go have fun, amen? But singles, you, you ask this, like, how far is too far? Like, how far can I go with my girlfriend before Jesus starts crying? Like, how far is it until sin comes? 
And it's not just singles. Married couples, there's many married people in this room that you're asking those same questions. Like how far is too far as I flirt with my coworker? How far is too far as I'm looking at this stuff online? Like how far is too far? Is that sin? But really, guys, this is the wrong question. The biblical emphasis on sex is not about a line, but it's about a time. And when we understand the time, it helps us to understand what the immorality that Paul is talking about. So take a look at this. There's a graphic going to come up on the screen, all right? This is how sex looks biblically. We'll call this the circle of biblical sex, right? You have a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, inside the covenant of marriage, this time of marriage, this circle. And anything inside this circle, this time of marriage with a husband and a wife, a man and a woman, it's good. It is so good. Like God is there and he's just like, heck yeah, dude, good job, right? Enjoy it, it's a good, I'm sorry, you know? Trying to lighten it up, but, but he's like, this is good. This is what I've designed it for. Be blessed. You guys are both in agreement on it. It's not weird. Have fun. Go at it. But anything, hear this, anything outside that circle, outside that time of marriage, this is what God calls sexual immorality. This is sin. And this is what the Bible teaches about how God designed sex. And we need to just understand that, because even as I say this, like it just, it's, it feels uncomfortable because this rubs against our cultural sensibilities in a drastic way, right? The world doesn't see it like this. I mean, this sounds like I'm Amish or something. There's nothing wrong with being Amish, right? But you know, it just sounds like I'm just like, whatever. But the world does not know or love God and is twisting and just really perverting and changing the intentions of sex that God has and it's trying to like redefine what the circle is, what's good. Like who even fits in this circle? Doc said, just know this. Sex is not a culturally contrived construct about how we feel, but it's a biblically established reality designed by God. And Paul's heart is to help us, and he says, unless you're in this circle, married, husband, wife, man and woman, now is not the time. Think of it like a fire. You probably have heard this analogy before, right? A fire, great thing, amazing thing. If it's used right. Right, so you make a fire in your house in the fireplace, smells great, it's warm, it's inviting, it's awesome. Now you take that fire and make it on your couch. It turns from this beautiful thing into a very destructive thing. Guys, sex is kinda like that. Used in the right way as God has created it to, it's a beautiful, life-giving, intimacy-building thing. But it can also be destructive. And Paul says, we got to flee when we're not in that circle. Now, let me just pause and back out of this and just say this, guys. The church has historically done a really poor job with talking about sexual immorality and sexual sin. And Christians, we, we forget that sexual sin is sin. Sin is sin. There's not like a hierarchy. But sexual sin tends to be the one that's just most visible to everybody. And so what we do is we put our finger on it and we say, look at that divorced guy. Look at that girl, she cheated on her husband. Wow, a same-sex couple, wow, that's detestable. And we somehow forget that sin is sin, that we're all on the same playing field. 
And we're all affected by sexual sin and we all have different issues. And what we do is we, we throw stones and we ostracize people and we forget that Jesus came for sinners, for us. And we forget that we needed the grace of God when we were in sin. And somehow we, we become self-righteous and we push people out rather than just loving them like Jesus did, our model, our savior, our king. And we do destructive t- things to people outside the church who are wrestling with and don't even maybe know this idea of sin. And rather than being like Jesus and going with them and limping into it and just saying, here, I'm just approaching you like a beggar who has found food and I'm talking to another beggar. Here's my Jesus. Here's the gospel. Here's the love and the grace of God. He can help you. We tend to push people out. Christian, that is not our posture. It's the love and the grace of God that we all need. We are on the same playing field with everybody in this world, sinners in need of a savior. And when it comes to this idea of sexual sin, this is why Paul says the only appropriate response is to flee. He says, run from it. And here's why, verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin is a, per- a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Paul says, flee because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. So let me just remind you, Christian, that when we put our faith in Jesus, he not only takes our sin and gives us his righteousness and guarantees us eternity in heaven, escaping the reality of hell, but he also gives us himself as God the Holy Spirit who takes residence in us, sealing us to the day of redemption as his forgiven, redeemed child destined for heaven. And this is great news, this is gospel news, but it's also like very significant news that not only changes the way that we think about our eternity, but it changes the way that we think about our present and how we live our lives today. All right, in verse 14, if you look, Paul says God raised Jesus from the dead and he will also raise us up by his power. And so our bodies and what we do with them today, I just want you to know this, matters eternally because our bodies won't be destroyed, but God will raise us up just as he raised Jesus. And this is so important because God doesn't just save us through faith in Jesus, but he makes our body his home. All right, this is what Paul says in verse 19, that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 15, that our bodies are members of Christ. Doxa, what Paul is saying is absolutely revolutionary. It's absolutely radical that our bodies are the place where God has chosen to live and the very thing that he has chosen to make part of himself, that he has bound himself so tightly to us, even our bodies, because he wants to be with us and he loves us like that, for us to be his and for him to be ours forever. As no other religion in the world would ever say anything remotely close to that because gods live in temples, not human bodies. Gods keep their distance. They don't wrap themselves up with people, especially not their broken, sinful, twisted bodies, but the one true God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible. He does. Our bodies have tremendous value and they cannot be treated casually because they matter for eternity. And guys, when we understand this, we realize that God is not like a tyrant who just makes arbitrary rules about sex to just kill our joy, right? This, it's kind of similar to like the story in, in Eden. God says, have at it, I've given you everything, just don't eat for this tree. It's kind of like that, he's like, here, this great gift, 
Now just use it the right way. God is like a lover who wants to be with the one he loves, to have us, all of us, not just our soul. And so our bodies are not our own. We are one with Christ. And that's why Paul says sexual immorality is serious and flee. So very practically, as the Bible's advice for avoiding sexual immorality and bringing God into our sin is just this is stay as far away as possible from the persons and the places that are likely to get you in trouble. I mean, this is literally the only biblical response. And so with all that, guys, let me try and land this thing, okay? It, it was hard this week, like, thinking about this, trying to figure out how to, like, wrap this sermon up, and we're all in different places as it relates to this topic. But late last night, as I was talking with my wife, I just kind of heard the voice of God through the words of my wife. And she, she said, Rob, grace. Grace. Because I was thinking, man, I'm just gonna go to Philippians 3, 2 Corinthians, and I'm just gonna scare people if they don't care about it. And Lisa was like, have you forgotten who you are, who you were? Rob, grace. So I want to put a period on this with the words of a man named Stephen Hume, who said it beautiful, and here's what he says, and I quote. He says, there's a great story in the Old Testament about God telling one of his prophets to marry a girl whom he knew would absolutely break his heart. She was a girl with a spotted past and a fickle heart who would time and time again spurn his love and seek comfort in the arms of other lovers. The story of the prophet Hosea and his wife Gomer, as you know, sort of comes to a head when the woman finds herself on a bidding block, destitute and rejected, with no other options to dig herself out of the debt she had incurred. So she stands there on that block, naked under the scrutinizing gaze of her bidders, awaiting the verdict that would decide her future fate forever. As the auction begins, something strange happens. She hears faintly, yet unmistakably, a voice in her ears, five shekels. It's a voice that she knows all too well. Her husband, 10 shekels. She thinks, but why would he do this? 15 shekels, sold. She's been bought by the man that she had spurned, the man whose heart she had broke time and time again. As she's standing there, she tries to make sense of what just happened. It suddenly occurred to her, and her heart sinks because she knows there's only one reason why this man would do this. He wanted revenge. So she lifts her head, bracing herself to get what's coming to her, but what comes next is perhaps the biggest surprise of all because she was greeted not by indignation, but by a kind smile and a warm embrace that seems to say, I love you more than you'll ever know. Let's go home. Romantic dramas eat your heart out. But as incredible as this story is, it's but a faint echo of the great story that has animated our entire world and each of our lives. The one in which the great lover who despite our spotty past and fickle hearts, whose love we have spurned and rejected, whose heart we have broken, did not just bid to get the love of his life back, but gave all, body and soul, to have us as his own once more. And when we lift our heads and look at the cross, we know for sure that he's not out for revenge because we are greeted not with indignation, but a kind smile and a warm embrace that says, I love you more than you'll ever know. Let's go home. You were bought with a price, verse 20 says, and you are not your own. And why would you ever want to be your own when the one who has bought you loves you like this? 
This must be the most compelling reason to take our bodies and what we do with them seriously, not just because we're free from the consequences of sin, but because we were bought by someone who gave all of himself to have us. Doxa, this is Jesus. This is the gospel. Every single one of us needs him. Every single person in the world needs him. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. Every single person on this earth is a sinner in need of a savior. And this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus comes as that, that we all need a lover who looks at our brokenness and dies to make a way for us to be with him once again. And guys, when we understand the wonderful message of the cross and what Jesus has done, that God saves sinners through Christ, and when we truly understand the gift of salvation that God has given us, guys, you know what that does in us? it grows an affection that's greater than any temptation we'll face. And this is how we fight and flee sexual immorality and live for the glory of God. We grow an affection that's greater than temptation. That when you understand the greatness and the grandness and the goodness of the gospel, it wells up inside of you that everything else just pales in comparison to Jesus. Amen? This is how good he is. And this is why we preach Christ. This is why Paul came with the gospel and said, I'm coming not knowing anything but Jesus and him crucified. So Daxa, no matter where you're at, no matter how you're living, no matter what you've done, the invitation is to come to Jesus. He sees you, he loves you, he restores us, he makes us new, he washes us, because this is my story. God is that good the savior that we need. So the invitation, no matter where you're at, come to Jesus today. Let's pray. God, thanks for your words to us in the Bible. and Even in these moments where we come to these sections where it's just difficult, it's hard, it's awkward. I'll be honest, like, it's hard to even read it and preach it because I just see myself in the mirror and I know how, how short I've fallen. I know my sin very well. But God, I'm so thankful that you know my sin and you look at me, not with indignation, but with love and you say, come to me, come home. I love you more than you'll ever know. And God, thank you for your forgiveness, for your salvation midst of my rebellion, in the midst of me just running away from you, you looked at me, you had me on your mind as you went to the cross, and you died for my sin in my place, and so I just say, thank you. And Father, no matter where we're at, you know how every one of us is feeling. If there's guilt, if there's shame, if there's emptiness, would you meet us in that, and Holy Spirit, just minister to us, guide us. Help us. You say that you're our helper and our redeemer, our rescuer. We desperately need you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.